Thank you yes. so much, Mr. Demolition Man, for doing this. <laughs> You're welcome, Doc. It's always a pleasure. Never a chore, Doc. Oh, I bet you say that to all the fat bloggers, man. You know, but um, of course, <laughs> of course, sweet, cooking sweet. I want to come back to America. I mean, I don't even know what's going to happen, but I want to come back. So it's got to be nice to everybody, just in case. Well, I still owe you that tequila, man. We got to have that tequila. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes, we. Have. Yes, we have. It's on me, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, this time, this time. Well, next time I'll get next round. So, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll buy the bottle. You can pour it out and say everyone's on you. So, uh, that, that's fair. <laughs> love it, <laughs> love it. Well, so before before we kicked in, we were just talking about something that was super interesting. You were talking about, like, I was telling you about how my mom, you, you know, my my parents were both. I had kind of a weird relationship with them that, you know, they, they, they were the kind of parents that didn't really know how to be parents, yeah. you know? And so they weren't bad parents, but they, they, they tried, you know? And, but one of the yeah, things yeah. that was such a big thing for me was that, you know, despite like any kind of emotional or, you know, you, you, you know, turbulence that happened between us, the one yeah. thing that was always very uh, cool was that my parents were very supportive of me playing music and being into music. Yeah. And I liked what you were just saying about how, like, you know, you still see kids who have that hard time with accept being accepted at home for being yeah. who yeah. they are. Yeah, I mean, I always think that's amazing. You know, my, my, my parents were not musical. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's listened to my work knows that I'm not musical either. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, it's, uh, you know, they, they, they didn't understand it. And I came from a very working class background, mm-hmm. very poor. Uh, I'm still very poor. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> uh, but uh, bastard. But, um, you know, I think that they just didn't get what I was doing and they just thought I should just get a job in industry. And I come from a shipbuilding background, so it was like get a job as a welder or a fitter or whatever it is. Right. And when I was doing music, I might as well have said I was Billy Elliot and I wanted to be a ballet dancer. They were like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> just get a proper job. So I never had the support, which actually in a way I thought I have a choice here. I could live in this environment uh, smoke and drink myself to death, maybe get asbestosis, certainly die of a cancer, and that's it. Or um, I could get out. And I thought, you know, I want to see the world. So I just wanted to get out. And music was the way that I did it. And it wasn't easy. It still isn't easy. It never will be easy. And when I, when I, when, you know, when I see people like Gene Simmons going, yeah, well, you know, it's uh, bands aren't going, it's not like it was, and bands aren't going to make it these days. It's like, hey, it wasn't easy anywhere. You know, it, it right. was, you, have, you ha- always have to be ingenious. You know, Kiss, for example, there's a band who, who, you know, all had day jobs. And when they played the clubs in New York, they paid, they got the record execs down to a show and they paid a whole load of the girls they hired <laughs> to wear kind of homemade Kiss shirts saying, I love Kiss. So that when, when the execs walked in, they were like, fucking this band's really happening. Look at all these girls. Right. And they, they had all the offers. Now that's their story. So it's like, were you telling me that was easy? No, you had to figure out a way to get noticed. And... 
you know, that, they, they were a rock and roll band. But what they did was they, they realized we have to stand out. And by doing that, if we pile everything we make into a stage show so it's bigger than anybody's ever seen, that's going to make us stand out. And that's, that's what people expect from Kiss, and that's what made them. So there's bands out there, even in this climate, uh, uh, during lockdown, I've heard new bands, and, you know, humans are resilient and they'll go. Mm-hmm. What I think, what I was saying before, what I think is amazing about your mom and her cooking for all your guys is, like, um, we've toured with so many bands in, in America and in Philadelphia, from in Wisconsin, in, uh, you know, out in Denver. Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've met bands where their mom and dad, have gone bring all the guys to the house it's like you do not want us all to your house and it's like no bring them all and we'll make food for them and the moms are making food and they're it's like you know you it's one thing i love about america and and that kind of family thing is like you know you could be walking down the street and there's a guy and a woman sitting on a porch having a beer in the middle of summer in the middle of fucking albuquerque and you're just walking down the street and they go, hey, how are you? Good evening. And would you? And if you stop to say hi, how are you doing? What, how's it going? Do you, the next thing you know, you're on the porch having a beer for you or the mom's in the house making you a cup of tea. It's like, <laughs> I've never met these people before. And, you know, my family is of Irish descent. And anybody who goes to Ireland will know that's exactly what it's like. You could get, you could fly into Ireland for the first time in your life, never being there, not knowing anybody in there. Um, and if you say, well, my family came from Ireland, Cork or Dumblain, or, or um, sorry, not Dumblain, that's in Scotland, Cork or, or, or uh, Killarney or something mm-hmm. like that, you, the fucking taxi driver will ask you your name, and if your last name sounds Irish, he'll take you to someone's house and go, ah, oh, this is, sure enough, this is your friend. <laughs> it's come from America. And before you know it, you're having a fucking meal with the whole family. You don't know any of them, but your your last name matches, and... and that's kind of that middle America, the real America, you know, uh, the people who just will welcome you and stick a beer in your hand mm-hmm. and take you. To, before you know it, you're fishing with somebody you've never met in your life. <laughs> and uh, you're, then you're eating their lasagna or their chicken parmesan or whatever. And it's like, oh, this is amazing. And it happens from I've been everywhere in America, apart from Hawaii and Alaska. But I knew it would happen there. It happens from everywhere through Montana, Mm -hmm. uh, Nevada, you name it, uh, uh, Georgia, you just name it. And, you know, and that's what I love. But coming from my background where my family didn't get it at all, Mm -hmm. they certainly wouldn't want a bunch of young Herberts who play some kind of heavy metal (laughs) or long hair trashing their house while they fed them. Um, so, you know, to hear stories like that and to be invited into that, it just warms my heart that there's parents who go, I don't know what he's into, I don't understand it, but they're his friends and he's having a good time and, and I support him. And that's a wonderful warming story, I think. Yeah, it's so funny because I totally remember, like, I think it was it was like 91 or, or, or like early 92 is like when my metal band played at one of our first gigs and yeah. my parents came and I will never forget this because, you know, you, you're, you're playing in like a dark, dingy armpit metal club in Atlanta you yeah. know, where there's like bar stools are made out of tree stumps and shit like that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it takes, yeah. it takes you 30 minutes to go to the, to the can because your feet stick to the floor. <laughs> and you step, you step, 
<laughs> oh my god exactly and so yeah. i'm standing up on the stage getting all our shit together and, and my singer comes over and goes i think your parents are here i was like why he goes just look and where there's nothing but like people in black here comes my dad yeah. in a hawaiian shirt and like <laughs> teal shorts <laughs> and my mom's got like a well you know like a you know like a pantsuit on and you yeah. know and they're sitting at the bar and they're ready and um to watch us and it was yeah. one of the guys um it was actually Lejean Witherspoon who sings in Seven Dust now. He used to sing. Oh, in a, okay. He used to sing in a band years ago called. Um, uh, oh God, what were they called? I think they were called Crawl Space or something. It was one of those bands. But anyway, yeah. he, he knew my parents were totally out of place, and so he went and introduced yeah. himself, and they were like, "Oh, we're Don's son," and he was like, "Oh, okay." Totally bought a pitcher of beer over to him, sat down, drank. Wow. And I just remember my dad, like me just being like, I can't even begin to imagine what my dad is saying right now. Like, I just can't even <laughs> think. And I just remember after the show, my dad, I was like, so what did you think? He says, well, your band sucks, but y'all are going to get better. And let me tell you, he goes, your friends all look like hell, but they're the nicest people in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, that's it. But you know what's, Again, it's another one of those things, Don. You know what's really cool is that um, there's two people's parents who came to see their son in a, in a shit old bar somewhere up in wherever, mm -hmm. and they're like, what the fuck's going on here? But they came and they dressed up and they made themselves look clean and all that for them because they're going to see their son play. And it's not the type of music they like. There were all these weird people in this strange place. And... Not only are they there and they stay there because you're there, and but also the communities in there realizes that's somebody's parents, mm -hmm. and they bring he brings them a pitcher of beer. You know, they, they they make sure that they're okay. Are you guys okay and you're comfortable? And then they leave with that. Wow, I mean, the music's hooks. The whole thing's like smells of cow poo, but <laughs> exactly. your friends are really lovely. You know, the bands, everybody's so nice, and and. That's one of the things that always maintains me with our, with our, with what we do with our community, you know, mm -hmm. across the planet, is that we get such a bad rap that we're all bad and we're we're doing drugs and we're kicking the shit out of stuff and nicking stuff and beating each other up and and just unruly. And yet, it's one of the warmest, kindest, friendliest, supportive communities, and and it's all because of the music. And yet, the music can be you know the most extreme shit that's happening on the planet oh yeah in an audio sense and yet still you know if you were at a slayer show and someone fell over and they're playing rain and blood or Holloways, if you if, if someone falls over people will make a gap and pick them up you mm -hmm. know and what's amazing that's what i find is always amazing you know I've always thought with the metal community, one of the things that I always loved is, I mean, you know, just to give you an example, like, you know, so, um, you know, I, I grew up listening to metal starting in like around 83, 84, you know, and of course oh. that was like, that was like the golden years to start listening to metal, yeah. you know, Dio, yeah. Maiden, Priest, oh, you know, just everything. Crocus, yeah. everything. And yeah. 
of course, like as the years went by, you know, I kind of, you know, especially going into the, like the, the mid nineties, you know, metal kind of changed and everything. And I kind of got yeah. disheartened and I kind of left and I yeah. started playing a totally different kind of music, be- you know, I, yeah. because I just needed something. So I started playing folk music after hearing my dad's record collection. And I can't yeah. tell you how many times I would, I, I had done, you know, like a folk show with someone and, and, and me and this person would just be talking and, and he would mention a metal band and all of a sudden I'd mention yeah. one and it turned out that like all these folk singers and bluegrass bands were all former metal dudes you know yeah. who basically yeah. but it goes back to that whole you know tried and true like you know once a metalhead always a metalhead and regardless always. of what you do or what you play it's it's a piece of us you know and it's 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 a it, it it's a counterculture more so than it's yeah. just uh you know like it's like pop music it's almost, isn't a counterculture you know like no. reggae music is a counterculture jazz music might be a counterculture but like metal is its own thing and yeah. i've noticed just from being a fan over the years is that metal fans generally tend to be some of the most diverse music fans yeah. and yeah open-minded you know because like i was talking to a friend of mine who is uh like totally into extreme metal i mean i'm talking like stuff that i wouldn't listen you know just like total you know just grind death or whatever and like one of his favorite albums is nothing but nothing like the sun by sting you know which i love that album but i loved the fact that you know here's this guy who plays in like a death metal band who's a sting fan you know, because yeah, yeah. there's elements of music in everything that, you know, I feel like being a metalhead, instead of being taught to, uh, um, y- y- you know, like, like just kind of say like, oh, that sucks. It's like we've all been like, you know, if it's good, we'll listen to it. Not all yeah. metalheads are like that. But for the most part, the ones I know are, you know. No, I I think that's it. I think it comes with experience. I think when you're young, you're kind of blinkered towards one. You know, I like punk rock uh, and I like this type of punk rock and everything else sucks shit. Or I like uh, this kind of metal, thrash metal, you know, back in the day. Everything else is crap if it isn't that. And and that's a youth thing. Um, and, uh, you know, as because you want to you want to identify with something that that you feel close to or attached to. And I think as you grow, you become more eclectic. You start listening and those influences, you know, uh, uh, are in the music you're listening to. You don't hear it at first, you know, um, you know, destruction. For example, a couple of examples, destruction uh, back in the day were the German thrash. Uh, Love destruction. You know, Legion, yes. Yeah, destruction with with Creator and Sodom and blah blah blah, and so they were they were the, the uh, one of the bands and and I went to visit them when they were in town once at mm-hmm. a place called Coco in Camden Town in London, and they were playing there so I went down to see them and the tour they were doing was like this huge tour with like about another eight bands. Every band before them were black metal or death metal, mm-hmm. so they were quite quite extreme, and. Uh, I went into the venue to watch the show, uh, uh, not to bother them. And I was, you know, because I, I, I hear kind of ligging around and hanging backstage. So I went to watch all the bands. And after about band four, I was like thinking, 
is this the band from before or have they changed? Because I was like, <laughs> it's kind of became monotone. It was like I, I couldn't distinguish between the bands. Uh, and then Destruction came on. Who would have been in 1983 for an extreme band? Right. And they sounded like they were in the fucking pop charts. I was like, I could understand every word. I could hear all the, the music, musical notes from me, Mikey. It was like harmonious. And I was like, it was very, very stark difference to what I'd been listening to for over an hour. And I thought, I've got to, I have to understand the music that I've just heard because I didn't get it. And I mm -hmm. thought, fucking hell, I, I'm my father. I, I can hear a noise, but I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and I thought it didn't seem, it didn't seem like there was a lot of musicality to it. Now I would say, you know, a thousand years after the event and they came a thousand years after my event, uh, I'm one of the biggest Mayhem fans. I, I, I listen to Mayhem now and I absolutely fucking love them. And uh, maybe it's because uh, um, maybe because the the partner, my partner, and and uh, uh, um, you know uh, uh, Maximina is a huge uh, singer from Satius and stuff. I've uh, just mm -hmm. done some work with and stuff, and she's a anyway. She's a huge Mayhem fan, and she just plays it all the time. And it's like you know, the more I hear that, the more I think, oh my god! And I just started to understand it through her, mm -hmm. through her emotional attachment to it and the musicality and now i'm listening to fucking everybody and i'm like I, and i just get it but i remember many times i remember when i started working for the royal shakespeare company and i'd done a lot of technical theater mm -hmm. uh, it was my kind of day job and uh, when shakespeare used to come to town um we would work on the shakespeare shows and i would listen and think what the fuck is all this bollocks you know <laughs> I, I didn't understand the language and i thought it's a it's like opera or ballet it's for higher it's for educated people it's not for common people uh, even though shakespeare wrote for the common people but um i didn't get it i didn't get the word speak and then i saw uh, richard the third i worked on richard the third with derek jacoby and I understood it. All of a sudden, I connected to it, and I understood everything he was saying and every other character. And from then on, my love for Shakespeare came, uh, which is why it took me into acting, because I wanted to do Shakespeare. And I just, I just understand it now. And I went for an audition once for uh, uh, um, Twelfth Night, mm -hmm. and the director... Um, I auditioned uh, for one of the roles and the director, I read a piece. He asked me, could you read this piece? So I, I did that piece for him. And he said, can I just say, I've never done an actor. I've never done an audition with an actor who actually understood that, that scene so well mm -hmm. as you understand it. And I said, well, I just get it. It's like speaking English. And he went, I know, but most people don't get the language, but you, you get all of it. And I said, well, I don't know. I've just connected to it. And I think that's the same with those extreme, uh, uh, that extreme scene. You all of a sudden, when you connect to it, not only do you connect to, to what's happening, but you see the other influences in mm -hmm. it. And it becomes this, this uh, cacophony of music that you go, oh, my God. So the fact that you can have a black metal or a death metal guy go, I'm totally into hardcore or extreme core, whatever it is. Uh, and then go, what's your favorite album? You go, Dream of the Blue Turtles by Sting. You go, what <laughs> the fuck? Or, or A Little Bluebird by Dolly Parton. You're going, I, 
eh? I mean, I remember in the Dynamo, we played Dynamo 1987 with Testament and mm-hmm. uh, Destruction and Striper were headlining. And we were in uh, in Holland and they just moved the festival. It was it was huge that year. So they put it in the car park. It was 15,000 people and they were like broadcasting. Unbelievable. Live on radio. Uh, you know, several years or 20 years later, I was to 50,000 people in the airfield. But never mind. It was huge at the time. And um, and someone did an interview with me and they said, OK, what's your uh, uh, number one influence uh, song? And I said, Sherry. And they went, Sherry? I went, yeah, Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. And they were like, they looked at me as like, Sherry? Really? And I was <laughs> They're like, like, we don't even Sherry, know that. Sherry, Sherry, baby. And I said, well, you know, my mom and dad were rock and rollers. My dad was a teddy boy, and all I was listening to was Frankie Valli, uh, uh, Bill Healy in the comments, Elvis, of course, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, Little Richard. So for me, I, I grew up listening to rock and roll, even though I wasn't going to play it. So if I said, wh- when you look at influences, for me playing bass would be Lemmy. Mm-hmm. And and uh, uh, the, between the Dickies mashed with Motorhead, that was the speed and the, the loudness and that. So I, I, that's what I wanted to do with me. That was my scream as a young man. But if I think what influenced me to want to listen for harmonies and play music and hear that musicality, it was something like Frankie Valli with all those, those voices or the, uh, uh, the Tempters or, or, or anything like that, you know, listening to all, those, <clears throat> all that Motown stuff with that groove and those bass lines and those voices, you know. Um, uh, uh, you know, like uh, um, Diana Ross in the Supreme, mm-hmm. it's like those voices. It's like wow, and that was what influenced me to go. I want to do something where I can hear layers of music <clears throat> that is uh, complementing each other. So you know, it's a bit bizarre, but I think just to just to round it off because uh, I think I talked and it's your turn. But, but before <laughs> I go. And hand the baton back to you. One of the things I think is that you made a good point. Uh, 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 with with rock metal or metal, let's just say metal and extreme metal, all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> is the difference between <clears throat> pop music is a is a store in a mall where you buy a shirt that uh, all your friends at school are wearing. And you want to wear one too because it looks cool and you fit in with everybody. Uh, that's pop music. It's fashion. Metal or rock or that is passion. That is a tattoo. That's where you go to a tattoo parlor and you don't get the tattoo that everybody else has got. You get your own tattoo that you may have designed or you mm-hmm. may have found a design for. And that's the difference. They will not be wearing those clothes next year or in four or five years but you will have that tattoo for the rest of your fucking life and i think that's the difference between the two things absolutely you know i I just remember one of the things my dad told me before he passed away you know about seven or eight years ago was that he's you know we were talking about me being a metalhead in high school and um yeah i i i I sent you my book right did i didn't i send didn't i send you a yes you did yes you did i've i've uh, i haven't read it but i've colored in most of the pages (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it, it's actually it's actually a coloring book anyway. But uh, <laughs> what? That's great. That's great. shit with words. I have read it, and it's amazing. It's amazing. And I'm on my third read. I'll I'll confess. I'm oh, on my no. third. <laughs> I am. I am. That's I swear it. to God, I wasn't actually fishing for a compliment, but what I was trying to get at was that no, it, it's, you know. it's it's wonderful, and you know why it's wonderful because it's you, Don, and 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 what is great is you, you know, people. Lots of people love you. Lots of people hate you, just like me, because you're controversial. <laughs> because you you just say the reality, not what you feel, not to be. Uh, a contortionist you say because that's reality and most people want to live in fantasy and what I, I relate to the book is your words speak the way you write is how you are it's what you say and and that's very much how I do it you know uh, and and it's a it's a wonderful book and I will take a picture I recommend anybody who's going to listen to this to get Don's book because <laughs> it is a remarkable thing to read and it's fun it's funny because he's funny it's insightful, but it's also a wonderful journey in someone's experience, and, and it's recommended. I'll take a picture so you can put that uh, with the audio plug I just gave you. And if you can just stick the money in my PayPal, that would be lovely. <laughs> I, I was actually just thinking I was going to hire you as my PR guy, you know? Sure, I'll do it. I'll do anything right now. It's lockdown. I need work. I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> well, so anyways, what I was what I was getting at was that, you know, it, it, I talked to, talked about this in my book was that I had, you know, like I, I was at this kind of a crossroads, you know, with at being a young person and I you know, I was in school, you know, I mean, I was in, you know, elementary schools, I was picked on, I was fat, I was, you know, the, the outcast, but like, I could have gone one of two routes. I could have gone, yeah. you know, the mall shirts, pants, you know, fancy shoes, or I could go yeah. with the Kmart jeans and the shirts that came out the back of record stores, you know? Yeah. And I just remember, you know, one of the things my dad said was, you know, I came out to go on a field trip one time. I had a Twisted Sister shirt on. And my dad said, you know, you're probably going to get beat up, right? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, okay. He goes, I just <laughs> wanted to make sure that you were okay with the fact that this could happen. He goes, but I just, you just be you. And yeah. and I just remember, like 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 I said, right before my, he died, my dad said, you being a metalhead when you're young, say, when you were young, saved us so much money in clothes. <laughs> You know, <laughs> because see, my bro my my brother, who's three years younger than me, was the total opposite. Like you know, he had to have like the hip shirts and the yeah. the hip jeans and the coolest shoes. And my dad was like, you know, you wanted three t-shirts from the back of warehouse records. You got your jeans from Kmart. You had a denim jacket. Yeah. <laughs> you got your shoes, yeah. from, you know, like Penny. But he was just like, you saved us so much money being a metalhead. And I was like, so That's if it. anything sells being a metalhead is that it's thrifty. <laughs> yeah. And also, also, you know, that's that's kind of an analogy as well that, you know, because I have because I have uh, some wonderful, wonderful, incredible fans uh, 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 and they express themselves in such wonderful ways. But because uh, uh, in my within my career, I ended up in Venom for 10 years uh, after Cronus departure. And of course, the, uh, the early days of Venom was such a huge 
uh, a thing that I have a lot of haters to um, who just want to hate because I replaced somebody and because I wasn't whatever, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, but what I, what I embrace is not people who are indifferent, but people who are passionate because love and hate is the same emotion. Mm-hmm. It's just the white, it's the yin to the yang. And so if someone goes, I absolutely fucking love you, and I accept that, I have to accept someone going, I absolutely fucking hate you. I can't stand you. I have to accept that too, because it's the same thing. Because for me, uh, music is passion. And the reason that we look like tramps and we wear our stuff from the Army and Navy store or from a record store from Kmart, like you say, Mm -hmm. and our jeans are like 10 bucks or whatever, Mm -hmm. instead of being fashionable with high tops that cost 200, 300 bucks and all that kind of hip-hop culture is because um, we spend our money on music. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's about the music. I mean, I've had several friends who have showed recently, and I know millions of them, but, but several in particular have just finished their basement complexes of their record a collection, fucking hell, it looks like Tower Records or HMV. I'm like, oh my God, that's their life work. And that's what they want to spend their money on because that's their passion. And so they may be wearing a Motorhead shirt that's 50 years old, but that's not the point. The point is, is that they've got the recent releases from XYZ. And that's what I love about our music, Uh, our culture and our scene is everybody wants to spend what they earn on the music because that's what keeps them alive. That's what keeps them connected. And it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that that's, that that's it. So, so, you know, if your hair's a bit greasy, if your shirts are fucking, you know, I think I wore, I went to see Ted Nugent at the Newcastle Mayfair in 1980, whatever. And he was doing the Wango Tango to a screen dream. And I bought a, 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 a shirt, a Wango Tango shirt. And uh, I think I wore it until it was like a fucking dish cloth. <laughs> I mean, it had so many holes in it. It's like, and people would go, what the fuck? You look like a right old tramp. But I wore it because it was my favorite shirt. And uh, in the end, I had to throw it away. And I was like distraught that I was throwing this shit piece of material away because you could almost still see the image on the front. You know, um, but but that's that's part of who we are. We'll wear it until we can't wear it anymore. Um, so it's not about fashion. It's just about our connection to what we love. And what we love is the music. And uh, And that's what I love about... Uh, about our whole scene, about the fans, or about musicians. You know, I, I just love that. Uh, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And just as an addendum to that quickly before it's your turn again, was you were saying about the folk musicians, and what you found was when you were doing the folk music, you talked to guys, someone would drop a metal band name, and all of a sudden you realised that everybody was a metalhead, <laughs> yeah. and yet you were all out playing folk music. And, I, you know, Jeff uh, Manchester did a, a thing with Scooter, uh, one year, Scooter uh, called him up uh, through through an agent and said, uh, "Oh, you know, we 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 like to take a guest musician on tour, and we've got a couple of songs that are a bit heavy, and we'd like to ask Mantis if he'd come along and be part of the tour for a year <laughs> and uh, play solos on a couple of songs." 
and he was like scooter what the fuck scooter and it was like a techno band german techno band huge in germany so he went and did it it was amazing he played to millions of people from mongolia to you name it i mean massive shows massive 250 300 half a million people in fucking arenas um, and he'd come on and play these solos and fire pyrotechnics. And afterwards, people would criticize it, going, Mantis or Van and play with Scooter, a fucking techno dance band. What the fuck, you know? As if he'd sold out. But it was like, hang on, but these people were still, it was still music. And But one of the most interesting things, and the reason I brought it up wasn't all of that, was the fact that he was sitting backstage talking to the guys having food one day. And they all confessed that they were all metalheads and uh, they, were, they were huge fans of Venom. And the reason that they were doing this techno thing and being such, uh, and, and, and traveling the world, making tons of money doing this dance stuff was because uh, a couple of them were just fucking around with music, wrote this dance track uh, and someone heard it and before they knew it it was number one so they thought oh shit we better just do this then and um, <laughs> so it, it wasn't by choice but again it was about the environment you know in the 90s like you said the reason you went out kind of metal like we all kind of did and i left venom then because uh, and not because i was making room for Kronos to come back or, mm-hmm. or any other reason than um, you know, you had grunge in America, massive wage wave coming over, which decimated the rock metal industry. And you had a uh, Brit pop in your Blur and Oasis in the UK, independent mm-hmm. music. So the scenes had all changed. And so, you know, you weren't playing to many people and, and kind of metal wasn't really in. And uh, it didn't happen again until you had Pantera and then you had the black metal wave happened in Scandinavia and thank fuck that they did happen uh, because bang, the whole thing exploded again. But uh, yeah, anyway, that related to your story about folk music and that's what, that's my evidence. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because it's, it, it, I see it on like all kinds of different levels. Um, there's even uh, there's a uh, folk singer from here in America. His name is uh, Ryan Ryan Adams, and uh, not to be confused with Brian Adams, but uh, right, yeah. it, incredible singer songwriter. Like was in one of the fir- had one of the first alternative country rock bands called Whiskey Town or yeah. whatever. Total oh, okay. death metal freak. I'm talking like. <laughs> top of the chain freak like he was just like i'm yeah you know, i'm so excited to go to norway on tour because i can finally get this behemoth bootleg i've been looking for and this record store brilliant. is holding it for me you know? <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. you know and of course a lot of his fans are probably going you know who the fuck's what behemoth the fuck? you know <laughs> like whereas like i'm kind of going that's so cool. But then like, you know, when you start to look at the age of a lot of people, yeah. you know, like I just turned 47 and a yeah. lot of people who are my age, especially if they're musicians, whether or not they were knee deep in it, everybody yeah. was affected by heavy metal music at Complete. some point, you know, because yeah. that was, you know, I forgot who I was talking to just recently. Um, uh, we we're talking about like Gen X type stuff, you know, people like my age yeah. or whatever. And I, I, I just remembered one of the things I was saying was, you know, nobody like I could go up to this random 20 something. Right. And say, have you ever heard of rat? And they'll yeah. say, 
the animal? And I'll go, no, the band. And they'll go, never heard of him. And I'd say, would you believe me when I, if I told you that every night for like five years, they played 22, you know, you know, you know, you know what was it? 15,000, 20,000 seat arenas. And they were like, yeah. no, no I, but I was like, but that was the thing is that when we were yeah. at, at that age, music wasn't so segregated. You know, you had, yeah. you had metal music, you had rock music, you had pop music. You know, yeah. and of course, you had jazz and blues and classical, but it wasn't so but granular that's it. You had, and picked you, apart. Exactly. Yeah, you had you had uh, uh, you had the classifications of music. So country music, uh, bluegrass, uh, blues, uh, pop, whatever. But and rock uh, and the metal. But you didn't have so many genre specific things. You know, it, it, the, the whole fragmentation of the genres. Uh, uh, particularly in, in extreme music, but rock music in general, mm-hmm. I think the whole uh, fragmentation was because um, they wanted to capitalize the, the industry. The labels wanted to capitalize on a scene. And, um, you know, I, I was doing a project once uh, uh, with a, an animator, and we took the, it was for a game station. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the launch of the PlayStation. And I remember taking it to Virgin records and uh, uh and at the time they were we met the pr guy and the a&r guy mm-hmm. and i said so what's you know we had a break in the uh, in the meeting and i said so what's the newest thing on your map and he went what do you mean and i said well what are you looking for these days you know what kind of band or whatever and he said well i'm looking for another radio head I said, oh, you want another Radiohead? I said, yeah, Radiohead, so successful. So I, I'm looking for another band like Radiohead. And I said, but don't you want to look for a band that's like not like Radiohead, that's not like anybody? Because <laughs> isn't the idea that Radiohead wasn't like anybody? You too weren't like anybody, so you want a band that isn't like everybody else? And he said, well, yeah, of course, that's, that's what you're ultimately looking for. But if you can capitalize on what's selling that's what you want to look for. So if you, if I can get 10 bands that sound like Radiohead, we're going to make a bundle of money. And I said, okay, but isn't that short lived? You went, yeah, Radiohead's going to be around for a long time. And most of those bands will disappear after a year, but you know, we're not, we're not, you know, whatever, there'll be new bands. So it's almost like they were thinking, you know, you spend your whole life playing pubs and clubs Mm -hmm. and shit holes so you can get a record deal. Then you get a record deal and there you're looking at like, wow, we've got a record deal. So mm-hmm. we've made it. We're going to have a house in Malibu. We're going to be the Rolling Stones. <laughs> and the label might be looking at it as like, well, we'll squeeze them for as much money as we can make for a year. And then they'll probably fuck off and make a shit album and we'll never hear of them again. Right, right. And I was like, wow. And so the the launch of Extreme and Independence you know, Neat Records and, and London Records and Music for Nations and Metal Blade and, and of course, uh, uh, Megaforce uh, um, uh, with Johnny and, and Roadrunner was that, hang on, you had a load of independent labels, Nuclear Blast running by bands, being set up by bands or musicians or record store mm-hmm. owners who wanted to just promote music. And... Uh, they, of course, they wanted it to be good, but they were interested in music right. and selling music to fans. And it wasn't about going, you know, it wasn't about selling, you know, if you if you wanted to get a fucking Metallica shirt 
or a Slayer shirt or a Motorhead shirt or an Iron Maiden shirt, whatever the fuck. You went to a, 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 a mom and pop music store or some, you know, mini mall mm-hmm. music that, that had that had these shirts. If you were lucky, if you lived somewhere that we're lucky. Now you can walk into fucking H and M in fucking New York City, and they've got a whole line of Iron Maiden shirts and Metallica shirts. And for one hundred and eighty dollars, it's a killer Kardashian, isn't it? It's Gary's killer Kardashian. You know, it, because you see Kim Kardashian wearing a Slayer shirt and going, she never went to fucking see Slayer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> on, on, the, on the reverse of that, you've got Miley, Miley Cyrus now recording Metallica songs. And she'll get pounded because it's fucking Miley Cyrus and she's off with the fucking fairies down the bottom of the garden. Of course, we know that. Right. But she's recording these Metallica songs, which, which means she must have fucking listened to Metallica, which which means that even though you're going to judge Miley Cyrus because, you know, Billy, J- Billy Ray Cyrus and she's a pop star and she was a Disney girl and she's right. fucking off and or whatever. But who's to say that she doesn't get into the car to go to fucking Ralph's grocery store and blast fucking Metallica's kill them all? You don't know that. We don't know that. So maybe the kid's a huge Metallica fan and she wants to record Metallica songs. You know, and, and that was always my thing is like, yeah, these fucking Hollywood bimbo's wearing fucking these metal shirts and it's like okay yeah you see whoever kardashian wearing a napalm death shirt the likelihood that she's ever listened to the scum album is like minimal but you know maybe she's wearing a metallica shirt because she likes metallica maybe she's wearing a slayer shirt because she fucking likes rain and blood Mm -hmm. who knows you know i mean it's it's where it's crossed over into fashion to look hip I remember there was a friend of mine in Japan said he was getting on an airplane and there was somebody in the airport walked past him and they were a 20-something and he's a 50-something like me. And they walked past him, they had a T-Rex Mark Boland shirt on. And he went up and he was queuing with his ticket and he said to this person, he went, wow, cool shirt. They went, sorry, he went, cool shirt, you know, Mark Boland. Mm-hmm. They went, oh, thank you, and you went T-Rex. And they looked at him and he was like, you know, you, you know who T-Rex is, don't you? And they were like, no. no. And they were like, you know, T-Rex, Mark Boland's band. He was like, do you know any songs by Mark Boland? They went, no. Who's Mark Boland? He went, you fucking wear any shirt. You wear any shirt. It's a mad world. It's like, you know, I wear a Rolling Stones shirt, but I've never seen the Rolling Stones. I wear a Sex Pistols shirt, but I've never listened to Nevermind the Bollocks. It's like, I don't understand. I don't understand that. So... The the corporates have taken music to use it as a retro hipster thing, mm-hmm. and 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 that's that's not what we're about, you know. That's not what we're about, and so it's quite interesting to, to see that kind of development. But it's like an Andy Warhol painting, mm-hmm. you know. Did you like Andy Warhol? I don't know. Did you think he was cool? I've got no idea. Do you know about Studio 54? No. Do you know who he even is? Have you seen a picture of him? No. But you've got a photo, you've got a painting or a print of Andy Warhol on your wall because it's Andy Warhol. Right, you know? right. It's, right. People say it's Andy Warhol. I remember in 1980 or 79, my girlfriend saying to me, you have to get up really early tomorrow and go and get us tickets for the Rolling Stones. And I was like, why? She went, because they're playing at uh, the local football stadium. We have to go. I said, 
I'm not a Rolling Stones fan. I don't listen to the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I know, but it's the Rolling Stones. You know, going to Nebworth to see Led Zeppelin's final show, you know, uh, at Nebworth Festival in London, to go and see, because it's Led Zeppelin's final show. It's like, okay, so you go and you go, right, cool. But it's like, but I'm not a Led Zeppelin fan. But it's like, right. I know, you don't have to be. It's Led Zeppelin. It's like, right. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, um, I, I totally know because it's it it, it, it goes back to this whole well, look. I mean, it kind of boomerangs back to what you and I were talking about earlier was that, yeah. you know, with metal fans being open minded and, you know, and, and, and into diff, you know, that that can be into different things. Like, who am I to not assume or who am I to assume that someone couldn't get, you know, let's say, I mean, Miley Cyrus is a good example. Like you were saying, like, like that girl probably, there's a good chance that maybe she grew up and never heard a lick of metal in her entire life. But what happened maybe like a year ago, she was hanging out with a friend and someone put kill them all on. And she was like, wow, that's different. I like that. I'm going to dive deeper into that. And then as we all know, it becomes, it's a ripple effect. It all starts with yeah. one band, you know, like for me, it was Twisted Sister. And then from Twisted Sister, yeah. it was Quiet Riot to Iron Maiden to Dio, you know what I mean? And it just becomes well, this yeah. ripple. And I think that the commercialization of heavy metal, like you said, like, you know, you know, T-shirts being available for $150 at HLM or whatever, yeah. you know, sometimes takes away from the idea that it's possible that someone could actually be into, I mean, look at like Lady Gaga, farce you can get from heavy metal, huge Iron Maiden fan, you know? And like, who would know that? I mean, you know, I mean, you just wouldn't know. That's also the, the, the kind of point is that, you know, uh, 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 do we know or not that Miley Cyrus wasn't doing her Disney channel singing country music because that's what her daddy did and and doing her pop Disney thing because that's where the money was and then secretly going home spending the night in her uh, luxurious you know billion dollar basement of her daddy's place smoking fucking the best skunk that you can get (laughs) listening to fucking napalm death we don't even know that we don't know. Maybe the kid was going, this is such bullshit, but it's paying me so well. And, you know, maybe that's what she was doing, you know, masturbating to fucking kill them all. I don't know. But, but, but we, we don't know. And it culminates in the fact that she wants to do something raunchy. And she mm-hmm. thinks what's more raunchy for her, what's more raunchy than Metallica? They're the ultimate metal band, rock band. So, you know, so for her, that's like, I'm going to do Metallica songs. I fucking like them, you know? Right. And it's like, uh, you know, you, you know, I, 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 I went to uh, Metallica, were doing Death Magnetic Tour. Right. And a couple of days before they were doing kind of fan club things. And I got two invites to go to these special uh, shows. Uh, one was like, I was on the, I could go backstage and everything like that. So I, I did, I went, I didn't go and see the guys or anything like that because I, you know, I, like I say, I'm not a legger. I just want to see the music. So mm-hmm. I, I, I just went and I mingled onto the floor and I could walk around. The fans were up on the, on the, in the seats and stuff. And I could 
walk wherever I want. And I just walked and watched Rob play because he just joined the band. But I watched that whole thing and it was an experience. And I thought, you know, when they when they ended the show, like so many Metallica shows, they ended with Seek and Destroy. And I looked round at the whole fucking place. I mean, it wasn't, it was at the Auto Arena, which is like huge, huge venue. Right, but it, yeah. But fan club shows and press shows. So just for selected audience and the fan club. So uh, it had, it wasn't the actual shows yet that they'd sold tickets for. But I looked around and I saw all these thousands and thousands of people all singing along. Now, I can tell you at my age, not all of those fans were there when they released Kill Em All. And not all those fans went home and had Kill Em All in their fucking record collection. Right. They just didn't. I was looking at all types, women, men, older men, younger men. They just didn't have the stuff there. And some were metalheads and some weren't. But they were enjoying the concert because it was like Metallica. And it's what I was saying. It was almost like the fact that it was Metallica meant more than the music. It, they were selling it as an item. Oh, you got to say Metallica's coming to town or the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin or Deep Purple. And it's like, okay, you know, have you got a Deep Purple record in your collection? How often do you listen to Deep Purple? But if you get a ticket to go and de say Deep Purple, you'll go because, well, it's Deep Purple. So it's a must-see band. It's like, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not your type of music. Maybe they're not, they don't trigger you in the way that music triggers someone, you know. But you go because it's fashionable, because it's like a must-see band, because they'll all be dead soon or something. So mm -hmm. I've got to go and see. It's like going to see Elvis and his Hawaii concerts and not being an Elvis fan. Why would you go? Because it's Elvis. Why would you see Sinatra? Because it's Sinatra. Right. You know, and it's like, you know, uh, the fact that you may like them or not like them or may listen to them or not listen to them becomes irrelevant. It's like going to see the Eiffel Tower, you know, and how many people have, have gone to see Eiffel's grave? Gustav, none. Nobody goes to see his grave, but they all go to the Eiffel Tower because it's iconic. And it's kind of that kind of thing, you know, um, that happens that happens a lot but i but uh, but looking at these people singing how many people here uh, or here because and singing along because it's fashionable mm -hmm. you know um so you know you get the when you get to the underground stuff when you get to the real stuff it it, it, it becomes very very different you know mm -hmm. it, it's a different kind of experience so you know when people say oh metallica have sold out it's like well you know are those kind of bands that become so successful that they go to the next level and mm -hmm. it's not just it's it's a case of you go to your mom and dad or well, your dad's gone god bless him but 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 say you go to your mom and you say Mom, I was listening to the uh, fucking, I don't know, uh, uh, Torture Squad, the, 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 or, you know, uh, uh, Troops of Doom record. You know, I was listening to the new Tro Troops of Doom record. It's fucking amazing. She goes, what the fuck? Well, I don't even know what you're talking about. What is Troops of Doom? <laughs> but if you go in and go, oh, my God, I just watched the Metallica thing, she'd probably go, oh, was it good? Because she knows who Metallica are. So it's kind of you know it becomes a marketing thing that what you want to do is you want to have the word of your band so commonplace that it's like saying Folgers coffee you know slayer becomes Folgers coffee you know it becomes so part of your word speak that even though you may not buy their albums or you, you're very aware mm -hmm. of them and then marketing is so much easier and it's distinctive nature of 
of uh, commercial music, pop music, uh, and and underground. Right. You know, underground just is something we have to investigate and we have to know about. And uh, the commercial side is pop music. And that can be even metal if they market it right, you know, uh, which is what they did with the whole grunge movement and the whole mm-hmm. Britpop music. They tried to make alternative music, so rock music, just in a different format, but accessible to everybody so they could sell it to a demographic that was going to age with it. So it's a Spice Girls mentality. If I can... If I can create something and sell it to a 13-year-old, I'll probably be able to have that success for with that person for three years. By the time they're 16, they'll be thinking it's shit. Right. And they won't want Barbie doll anymore, and they'll move on to something else. But there'll be other 13-year-olds I might be able to keep a hold of. So I've probably got a four to four to six-year span of selling this before it's too old and I've got to move on to something else. And that's kind of how the industry works. Uh, whereas the rock metal industry, it doesn't work like that. It becomes forever. It's like ACDC or, the, or as good now as they were when they started, I guess, with, even with Brian Johnson. Right. And have same fan base that they always had and always will have you know are they on the news every day are they hanging in your local store are they on the radio 24 hours a day maybe in america but but nowhere else right uh, does everybody in the industry know acdc of course and that's the target i think that's where you need to go so you're a band that just plays to your fans and uh, and has that respect and uh, of your peers and the notoriety and you have to make that decision i think that do you want to be a corporation and just make money or are you doing it because you want to make music Mm -hmm. and if the music is so successful that you make money then okay uh because if people buy your music you should make money but if if making money is the only reason you're there you won't be there very long and if you want to, if you want to do it because you just want to become famous, mm-hmm. you may become famous, but maybe not for long enough. You know, See, at some point yes. you'll not be famous anymore, and you'll you'll wish you had stayed. Whereas if you do it for the music, if you're a, a Jimmy Page or a, or a Gillen or a Keith Richards or a you know whoever, you just you're a Hendrix. You know, you play music because you can't not play music. You end up being a uh, a jazz musician playing bass like I did in some bands, or you end up doing folk music like you until the seas level themselves out, and you can go back to doing what you really love doing, you know? But you never stop playing, and that's the difference. I think what, one of the things you said that was super interesting was that you were talking about, about you know, like how... It's funny how, like, th- there there are some bands who are smaller bands in status or whatever you know of of say but still commercially big let's say i don't know i can't even think of one right now but let's say they rely a lot on you know selling their merchandise and being like you said being kind of a brand and put the music in in like the back seat somewhat and i was watching a a documentary on the stones i think it was called uh ole ole it was on uh netflix or something and it was like they were playing like a huge concert at like yeah mexico city i think it was huge stadium you know and there's a a scene of 
uh, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger sitting backstage in fold-up chairs, and Mick yeah. is playing harmonica. Keith is playing his acoustic, and they're playing the raunchiest version of Honky Tonk Women. And I'm thinking to myself, right. these guys have more money than God. But for that moment right there, they were musicians. That I mean, you could just yeah. – and I was like, anyone – whoever had any doubts like whether the stones still had or at least those two i was like that yeah. scene just personified the dedication of you know of a band that is huge but that still is in it for the music who still yeah. gets up every day and says you know i like being mick jagger a lead singer you know i like well, being I, th I think that's it. I think it's about the music. And that's, you know, that scene is a wonderful scene and it exposes exactly that, Don. It exposes that, that at the end of the day, they're playing music. They want to play music. The fact that they're the Rolling Stones and they've been around so long and they're commercially, uh, you know, pushed and, and they make a shitload of money is not why they did it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And not why they're still doing it. They're still doing it because they want to make money. The fact that they're Rolling Stones is an accident against that, so they get paid lots of money. But it's the same with Queen, with Brian May. I worked with Queen, and, and Brian is like that. You know, they're smart with business because they realize it's a business and they mm -hmm. had to be smart and they had to sell, you know, the, the, uh, you know other, people in, other people in the industry were making money out of them. So right. they thought, well, hang on, but it's us, so we should be making money. So they had to set up a business. But at the end of the day, if you took it all away, Brian May would still be a guitarist. He would still be creating music. He would still be playing because that's what he is. He's a musician, and that's what he loves, and that's why he's there. He's not there because it's an easy way to make a load of money and I can have a big house and lots of cars. He's there because his guitar's there. And if you said, look, you can take all this great shit and all this money and have that, and I'll take all your guitars away, but you'll never have to play again, uh, or I can leave your guitar with all your pedals and amps and stuff, <laughs> and you have to make a decision. What do you want? He would pick the guitar. Oh, yeah. That's the, that's the difference. Lots of bands these days would pick the fame and the money. And and the real musicians would pick the instruments and be broke again. And that's the difference. Joe Bonamassa, I mean, how much bigger do you want to get? How much more, you know, incredible do you want to be? And yet there's a guy who was just playing blues in jeans and a T-shirt, fucking busking for a living. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, w w if you took everything Joe had away, what do you think he would be doing? He'd be sitting on a box on a street corner playing. That's what he did. <laughs> that's what we'd be fucking doing. Oh, Tommy, I mean, because that's the thing is that the passion for the music and it goes back to kind of Venom Inc., for instance. Like I remember uh, this kind of ties into two things we were talking about. I remember the first time that this was before I knew you. And I'm looking at the paper, and I'm or looking online, not not the paper anymore. And it said uh, Venom Inc. You know, playing at the Masquerade. And I just remember saying, like, what the fuck is is Venom Inc.? Like, what the hell is that? Like, you know. And 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 I started reading about it, and then all of a sudden there's like this Kronos Venom, and then all of a sudden like I and then when I saw that it was you, I was like, wait, I was like, now that's Venom. Like, but I was like, you know what? I was like. I got to see this because 
I never got to see Venom as a kid and I loved yeah. Venom. So I was like, this might be my only chance to see this. So I got to go, you know, and of which course, was, which was the whole point, which was exactly. The whole point. And it was incredible because it was one of those moments where, you, you know, like I got to see this band that I loved as a child and as a young person, but at the same time, I'm also looking at the venues that Venom Inc is playing and, you know, they're generally small clubs, you know, I mean, a yeah. few hundred people in there, but I'm going, these people don't have to do this. Like you guys all stay in England and do your thing. You're all grown men. You can do it. But that passion for music is still there. And let me tell you, man, like when I saw you on stage, like I almost got a knot in my throat that I had to interview you after the show. Cause I was, I was kind of scared. I was like, that's a scary <laughs> motherfucker. And all of a sudden, that, you know, backstage, it's like, you know, you've got a laugh that'll fill a fucking arena. And I'm going, oh, my God, this is amazing. But, like, what I'm getting at with that is that 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 is something inspiring. When you go see a band and they're playing for, you know, 300, 400 people and they're given 180% like they're playing to a fucking oh, yeah. arena – that's yeah. when you know the music is what matters, not how many T-shirts yeah. you're selling or how many records you're pushing. You know, you yeah. are – that is the music. And it's also a respect for the fans also. Yeah, that's the main thing. That's the main thing. You know, for me, it's like it would have been very easy for us to – uh, stay where we were and fly out to do festivals and play for like 20,000 people, 30,000 mm-hmm. people, 80,000 people uh, at a vac and 120,000. That That's easy. It's easy money, um, you know, because you fly in, you get looked after, you fly away, you take your money, you sell your merch. Um, you know, you might do a signing or not, depending mm-hmm. on, you know, how you feel about that. Um and uh, you can make a career out of it, you know, and then your online resourcing with Patreon and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so you, you can make a living. But, you know, for me, it, it, you mentioned, you know, the club, the masquerade and, and, and the, those kind of tours. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like we did whack and we've done Hellfest. We've done all the big festivals. Mm-hmm. We've done a million other festivals in between. Uh, uh, we've been very fortunate. I'm not I'm not. Uh, they're amazing festivals, they're amazing people, amazing organizations, and I mean that. And I'm, I'm very privileged that I got to walk on those stages with, with incredible artists and incredible bands. But mm, one of the things that was difficult to, uh, you know, for, for, for Mantis, because he, he's kind of a, he's kind of quite quiet and quite mm-hmm. reserved and, and, you know, Turing's he's not really into that whole touring thing uh, and all of what goes on. But for me, it's like, you know, I, I, I was still punk and it's like, I want to be able to feel the sweat of the guy or the girl in the front row. I mm-hmm. want to be able to lean so far that they can touch your hand the, the, or the drip sweat dripping off it. You know, I want to feel that energy that you feel in a club that, you know, the punks felt, that the Ramones felt or, you know, whoever it was or the Pistols or, you know, Misfits. You know, I want to feel that kind of CBGB's vibe. And it could be, 
you know, in any club, but I want to feel that because music is an electric experience shared by the audience and the band. And when you do a festival, you're you're presenting something. It's mm-hmm. like it's like going to an artist's studio while he's painting and talking to you. You know, it's like you're actually watching it evolve or going to the National Gallery or the Tate Gallery when it's just a presentation of what he's done, finished pieces, and the artist isn't there. So there's a, a small card with a description. So you kind of have to you know, be involved in it yourself, but you're not experiencing the thing actually happening. And so for me, that's the analogy and that's the difference. And so those kind of things, you know, I, I convinced Jeff that I wanted him to you know, experience that uh, um, and meet those fans that had been so uh, touched and and by the music that he'd actually created that he didn't realize the effect that it had. So this is an opportunity when you do club shows of 300 or whatever to have uh, guests and to meet fans and to hear their stories because every fan has a story of when your music first came to them right and i thought that was very important and 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 uh, and it was very important for us to experience the fans experience in the music because when you're a band uh uh, who's been around a long time and 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 you you know these people come to your shows Mm -hmm. there's a point where the music becomes theirs not yours anymore so you know when you know when when for example let's say venom did black metal mm-hmm. now the album went out and it influenced a lot of people and blah 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 we know the story but um those fans may get up some of those fans get up and listen to that album every day certainly once a week they go back to it to listen to it and it inspires them or they enjoy it or whatever but nobody in the band listened to that album after it was made <laughs> Jeff doesn't get up and go, I must stick black metal on, listen to Burn the Witch or Heaven's on Fire or Countless Battles. He just doesn't. Because as a musician, as you well know, you write a song and that kind of just, that's it. You know, and, and I remember a quote from Lemmy saying, you know, we've written fucking great songs, much better than Ace of Spades, because mm-hmm. he was lamenting the fact that he had to play Ace of Spades every show because that's what fans wanted. But Ace of Spades was such an iconic song for so many people that the first time they heard it, it changed. It may have changed their life. So, of course, he's there. They're there. You want to hear it. It's just, it's just the way it is, you know. And I think that uh, uh, it's why we would do a load of shows try and play loads of new material, but our encores would have to be Black Metal Witch and our Countess Battery because mm-hmm. fans would lose their shit and listen to those things. <laughs> and, you know, you may play a show where you've played three or four times, but there's a, a whole load of new fans in there who've never heard those songs, and this is their opportunity. And so, you know, some of the criticism we had from people who are, you know, chronophiles or like the original Venom, which is fine, it was like, I don't want to fucking, it's not, it's not that or it's not this. For right. them, the experience was different. But for me, it was like, look, there may be some fans here who've never got to see this live. And Mantis, who wrote it, is right there playing that song. So just l- listen to the music. Forget everything else. Forget the politics. Forget who's who. Just 
watch the guy who wrote the songs playing it for you then if that's what you need but experience it you know because music is an experience and 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 that's why that kind of thing was so important for me and always will be we could do a million shows we could do arena tour uh with whoever or you know ourselves touch wood mm-hmm. but I would still do club shows because that's where it real. That's where it becomes real. That's where there's no bullshit. There's no marketing. If people buy shirts, they buy shirts. If the club owner can only pay you whatever he can pay you, okay, that's fine. But do I want to? Do I want to not be able to contact those fans and experience their energy, loving our energy, love it, and we're both loving the music at the same time? No. I can't. I can't. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And you know that very well. Being a great musician yourself, Don, is like when you can perform some of your music and that response you get, that connection you have, that's what it's about. That's what it's all about. And, and you know, it doesn't matter how much money the Rolling Stones might make or how many planes they get or how many fantastic hotels or how many birds are backstage or how much coke <laughs> they've got. You watch Rich, you watch Keith Richards playing on stage at the Blues Club in New Orleans at the House of Blues. Man, he's just playing the guitar. He's oh, yeah. just playing. And that's what the beautiful thing. That's what's beautiful, you know? It totally is, you know? And you know, like you said, just I swear to God, Tony, you and I, we, we should do, we should make this like a monthly installment where we just okay. once a month we just talk like and just record it for people because I love this. <laughs> you know, like I feel like I can keep talking for like hours. <laughs> I know, I know. And that's that's because we both talk. And I I must say, I must apologize. I know we gotta wrap up because we're like one hour fourteen or something. Oh and, yeah, uh, no, yeah, I no worries. I kinda talk too much this time. So if we do another one next month, and then you can be the one who talks, and I'll just be the one who's quiet. How's that? Well, you know what? I will tell you this though. It to me, it is you know as a, you know. I when I started doing this, I you know, you know, I don't have a journalism degree. I didn't go to school for this. I didn't, you know. I wanted to be two things when I was a kid. I wanted to be a musician, and I wanted to be a writer. And so. You know, me doing this, like I, I make no money doing it, but I love doing it because it's that dork side of me from being a kid where I want to get into the heads of all of my favorite artists. And the yeah. fact that, that, that you think enough of me to constantly keep in touch and to do stuff like this is just, it makes me go like, okay, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'm onto something here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. well, you are. I think you are, and I think that's the, that's what I love about you, Don. Since the first time we we spoke, is that you know I'm a very I'm a very pragmatic person and a very practical person. Uh, you know, uh, 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 and and very this is how this is this is it. You know, I mean, you know, I could be. I could be a, a cock, I could be a prick, I could be a cunt, I could be all those kind of things. That's easy enough to be. But, you know, uh, uh, I had to evaluate it myself and think, what you know, even though I get pounded a lot and I get, you know, trolled a lot and all that kind of stuff, I thought, you know, uh, that shit's not going to stop me doing what I want to do and mm-hmm. it shouldn't stop anybody. And any young musician, 
or young person who's who's having a hard time from school to to the music they like or anything else should think the same thing. It's like don't change who you are because other people you know think you should. It's like you know fuck it. You know you 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 are you and you should be proud to be you. And uh, uh, whatever they achieve in their life, they'll achieve. But it's not about what they achieve. It's not about what anybody else thinks you should be doing. It's only about what you think you should be doing. And and so it doesn't change you, you know. And much like Lemmy said, you know, always be truthful and and always be good to your fans. And it's as simple as that, you know. Just just be the realest you you can be. And the people who like you will like you, and the people who don't like you won't like you. Uh, but that, that's all you that's all you have if you're true to yourself then you're true and that's it and um and it, 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 that's all you can be that's all you can be but i think that uh, uh, there's a reality there and that's what i love about you is that you don't try and be something else you you're you 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 know you know where you're uh, uh, positive sides and you know you what your negative sides are you know what your shortfalls are you you try and fill in the gaps and but you but whatever you do you do it with your full heart your full belief and your full uh, uh, personality and that's the purest thing you can be and that that's why i relate to you and 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 i love you for that and the the best people in my life or those kind of people, because that's who I am, you know, and uh, and and that's the only way you should be, you know, because if you try and wear the T-shirt that everybody thinks you should be wearing, you might look like a dick. Uh, whereas if you wear yours, if you wear the T-shirt you want to wear, they might call you a dick, but. In the end, are you a dick or are they a dick? Because they're conforming to something they want to be part of and you're being an individual. And that's what life's about. There's only you. There's no other you. There's lots of other people, but there's no you. You're the only you there will ever be. So be you. And if that's your music, if that's how you dance, if that's what you wear, if that's what you, you eat or shit or listen to or drink, then that's who you are. And anybody who doesn't accept that or wants to criticize that, it isn't about that you're doing the wrong thing. It's about that they think you're not conforming to what they they are conforming to. So in a way, they're almost jealous of your non-conformity, you know, because uh, they want to do that. They want to be able to do that, but they're they're not able to. So you celebrate your individuality as much as people will criticize or throw stones at you or go, yeah, but he's shit. It's like, yeah. Uh, your shit. Like I had an episode a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I want to give a shout. I can't. I didn't know his real name, but uh, I, I'm running this competition so people can win an old bass I had, which is rare. Yes. And uh, and I've got a lot of rare stuff, and and uh, you know it's all on my social media. And I just thought, you know, I'm gonna do this for some local community families and and kids uh, uh, for. Christmas, because it's 2020, we've had lockdown, it's a shit year. They were trying to raise funds, I noticed they were doing that, and I thought, yeah, I really want to maybe help, you know, and and I thought, uh, I've got an idea, I've got all this rare stuff I could just kind of auction, and then I thought, well, if I auction it, someone with some money is going to buy it, mm -hmm. which is cool, but then I thought, yeah, but 
not everybody has money these days. And so a lot of fans who might want to have some stuff uh, are not going to be able to do that. Uh, so I thought, oh, well, I'll have like a kind of raffle. So it's cheap enough that people can buy a ticket. They might win, they might not. But if they do win, it's cost them like 20, 30 bucks. But mm-hmm. they've won some cool stuff. And then that shows the community. It's a bit of fun. It's a bit of entertainment. And in the meantime, then I can give to these local communities and go, surprise, happy Christmas. And they're going to go, oh, my God, this is amazing. So I thought, yeah, it, it's a positive thing. And... Um, so doing all that, and some guy had wrote on uh, one of the Instagram, oh, the Instagram page for Venom Inc. Because um, someone in Denver had reposted, oh, this this competition, if you want to win this. And this guy had wrote, who gives a fuck? <laughs> so what? So I, I kind of then looked into it, and I looked at his profile, and I saw where he was from, and I saw what he looked like, and I thought I could see I could say so much right now in a very negative way, but I just thought, you know, there's one of your most popular posts has six likes. Mm -hmm. One of the most popular posts on here has uh, over 3000 likes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have 125 people following you, but on this page, there's about 55,000 people following. So when you say who cares, I guess I got to say 55,000 people care. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> about 45,000 more than care about you. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but 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 I didn't I didn't use that as a comparison to himself. I was just exposing reality. And then he wrote immediately and said I'm very sorry. I've had a really shit day. And then I talked to him and after about an hour found out his mom had died. It was Thanksgiving. Uh he was just and so I really talked to him and I said, don't apologize. You know, it's passionate and, and understand. And he was feeling very alone. And he came to see us when we played the Danzig show. Um, he was there and he'd already bought a ticket to the competition. And so I got his address and I've sent him something for Christmas outside the competition. And uh, he said that I'd saved his life. Uh, because I guess that day he was going to, that was it for him. He was going to end it all. And so I guess my, I guess what I'm trying to say is it was, I could have said, listen, you fat motherfucking useless piece of nobody likes you shit. Mm-hmm. And he would have jumped off a bridge. But I just took a moment to go, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Maybe he had a shit day. And maybe it's not about me or it's not about that. And I shouldn't take, I shouldn't let my ego overrun me. Maybe I should just reach out and see if there's another reason. And there was, and there was with social media. We need to consider that too. And so the competition and all of that was about doing exactly that. Taking people who may feel a bit lonely, a bit isolated, a bit like shit at this crap year we've had with covid and all the bollocks we're going through which we can believe or not believe or i don't know what's going on but Mm. all i know is that we need to survive and we can do it through our music and so reaching out to each other is very important and so that was why i told that story he was a really cool guy and if i could have went and hugged him i would but he's gonna (laughs) he's gonna get a cool present for christmas because of that and and give him something to look forward to. And I told him the minute we get to your state and where we are, you're my VIP guest, so you get free. Do not buy a 
shirt and don't buy a ticket to the show because you're the guest. And if that keeps him going and it, it gives him a sense of being, you know, because also that's the other thing is it's very easy to think nobody gives a fuck what I'm doing if I even exist. And when you can reach out, and that's what I love about talking on social media, when I can reach out and go, I, I know you exist and I appreciate you exist. If that's all I can do, that's the power of the music. And that means so much to a lot of people, and it means a lot to me. And I am so psyched. I'm going to let everybody know, especially in the um, in the description of the show, that um, they can how they can go about getting to uh, getting a chance to win this good stuff. And Tony is always man. You are my brother. I love you. And we are we we might just have to have our own show. You know what I mean? Like maybe we'll, I think we maybe should. we'll maybe I think we'll we get picked plan. up. Maybe we'll get picked up by a radio station or something. Don and Tone. Don and Tone. Yeah. <laughs> think of a cool hook line. Hook line. DT. The DT show. The DT show. I love it. It, it. And it would just be us talking about nonsense, just loving it. Yeah. <laughs> we, what we should do is we should get we should get so we we go on and within the first ten minutes someone has to give us the category and that's what we talk about for the next hour. <laughs> Oh my God! Okay, this this may we may have to beta test this, and this might be the next one that we do. Maybe we can put it I, out I there. <laughs> I, I mean, well, Tony, thanks again for doing this, man, and we're definitely going to do it again. And happy holiday and all that good stuff, man. You big happy smiling pile of goo. <laughs> Well, just thank, thank you for having me. I know I over talk, but I know you can. So I was trying to dominate it because I know if I don't, you will. But I, I know you love to talk too. I love your brain. I love your mind. I love your personality. I love your warmth, your generous, and your insight and your intellect. It, 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 all of those things are my favorite thing. Uh, I love your mom and that she's going to make me beans. I love that. Uh, please, please tell her. Please tell her. And uh, I thought I'd see her on video, but it wasn't. It wasn't about to happen. So never mind. Never mind. Another, another time. Have a good night, and thank you again so much. And to all the listeners, stop it. Turn it off. <laughs> I love you. I love you very much. And uh, thank you, anybody who listens. And I'm sorry it took an hour and a half to get to this point, but thank you so much. And keep listening to Don. He's the man. And keep it real. And we'll see you soon. 